to come before your presence. We thank you for the power that's available in and through the blood of Jesus. Having gone through the veil, now we have access to the throne of grace. So we bless you this morning. We thank you. Thank you for bringing us together as we gather at your feet to feed, to eat, and to be nourished. I pray, Lord God, this morning that every word that you will send to us will be the word that we need in order to advance the frontiers of your kingdom to the glory of your name. Thank you, Lord God, for what we received yesterday. But we understand that yesterday's manner will not be sufficient for today. And so, Lord God, we receive new mercies, new grace from you this morning. In the name of your son, Jesus, we bless you, we honor you. We thank you for the expediency of your word, that your word will not be hindered or impeded in any way, shape, or form, but that the word of God will come expressly from your throne by the power of your spirit. Thank you for the liberty of the spirit that we sense in this room. Thank you, my Lord God, that our religious cities will be uh, uh, cast down and will enter into a new realm and a new place in you. We honor you, we bless you, we praise your name, Lord. Because you're a great God in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Pastor Charles, you can sit up here. Amen. Take your seat, please. Good morning, everybody. I said, Good morning, everybody. Good morning. My goodness. <laughs> it's just 9 30 in the morning. I hope you guys are not falling asleep already. <laughs> ah, I don't know about you guys. I left here yesterday full and very, very encouraged. And uh, there are some, yesterday was a Kairos moment, really. And uh, in days and weeks and months to come, we'll be able to tell you guys some of the things that happened behind closed doors. Uh, God did some things yesterday, really. He really did. And this is not speaking, this is not just speaking evangelistically. You know how evangelists, they said that uh, they had a meeting and uh, 10,000 people made a decision. Well, if you look at that 10,000 very closely, it could be just 50 people. But evangelistically, that's an exaggeration. They always, but anyway, ah, but this morning, say this morning. God is helping us today to see what I call the manifestation of grace. And I'm not speaking in any form of exaggeration. Our speaker today, at least we've known him now at least 30 years. At least. And it's, it's crazy when you just think 30 years and we are still around, we're still talking. I mean, usually people you know 30 years ago, you, you don't see them again. I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, 30 years. But it's not just the tenor or the length of time that amazes me. But the circumstance when we met this speaker, he was a teenager. And uh, we met him uh, through the platform of Dr. Crefordola. And to just see him then as a teenager, who was radically, crazily hungry for God. I have never seen anything like that. I mean, I'm serious. And you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna either verify what I'm saying in a moment or you're going to say this man is a liar. You, you, there's no in-between. You'll find out in a few minutes. But as we will come in, myself, maybe Bishop Fuller, to preach for Pastor Dollar, off and on and off and on, 
this guy will capture every word that we preach. And the next time we come around, he will rehearse it to us. And it's, it's, it's crazy. It's just almost incredible. But the amazing thing was the spirit of service. Because when they came to World Changers, they didn't come there from the top. It came in from the bottom. Did whatever was asked of him. Cleaning the floors, sweeping toilets, the whole nine yards. And in just a little time to see how God placed his word and his spirit in this guy. <laughs> we are over a few years later, himself and his wife, Connie. And Connie, bye-bye. Hello to you, Connie. If you're watching by streaming, we say hello to you this morning. Praise God. Thanks for releasing this man of God to come and be a blessing to us. Amen. Praise God. <laughs> but just to see what God will do through them, because now they left watching us, they were released with honor. Say with honor. They were not an Absalom. They didn't run off. They were released with honor to go and start a church in Jacksonville, the church at Jacksonville. And the grace of God that was upon them in Atlanta was waiting for them in Jacksonville and prospered and blessed the work. Incredible work. Amen. We were there. We've seen it. And now to see how after a few years God said to him, Leave the work. Left the work. Left it. Mark, if you have, if you feel free this morning, you may want to take these guys through that because this is mind blowing. Because the work it left was not a failing work. It was a thriving work. Just like Acts chapter eight with Philip, who was enjoying the revival in Samaria, and in the midst of that joy and the revival, God says, "Philip, go to the desert." And he had to leave the baby in, the, in, the, in, the, in Samaria, the joy, and go to the desert in Gaza. Do you remember that story, Acts chapter 8? That's what God has done with him. So for me to watch the beginning and see what God has done now, it's a tremendous encouragement of what the grace of God can do in a person's life. So with great joy and pleasure, for the first time on this platform at Gosim 2018, please help me to welcome none other than Michael J. Smith. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. You're welcome, man. Thank you. Amen. Glory to God. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Um, I'll say this. Um, when he, when uh, Apostle said that I was a teenager, he's known me for 30 years. He met when I was a teenager. I was really hoping he left that teenager part out. <laughs> Because uh, I was going to say we met when I was three, but that didn't, that didn't, um, he, he took that away from me. I, it, interesting thing, you may be seated. Um, uh, <clears throat> uh, interesting side note tidbit in all of that story was the night I was called to preach, in, the night I was called into the ministry, uh, uh, Bank was preaching. And uh, my parents, we were living in Orlando at the time, my parents had become uh, what I believe to be the first partners of World Changers um, through a supernatural set of circumstances that requires uh, a much longer time to explain. But I was kind of saved, but not yet for real saved. You know, I don't know if you kind of know the, the difference between this. Like, some of you may remember they have like, there was a thing back in the 80s, Dristan. Do you remember the, the medication? It was time release. So I was saved, but it was time release salvation. You know, kind of a thing I, I had said a prayer, and, um, and I ended up uh, 
going to World Changers on a Friday night. I believe it was their fourth year anniversary. It was February of, 2000, of 1990. And uh, at the end of the meeting, uh, Bank had preached, you know, as only he can do. And, and uh, I was sitting almost on the back row, about uh, two-thirds of the way maybe, uh, with my family. And Pastor Dollar got up and he says, hey, he said, we have some guests here from Orlando. He asked my parents to stand up. Kay and Stu, would you stand? Their son Michael is here. They're partners with us from Orlando. He said, before you guys leave, if I could, could, could I just greet you for a minute in the, in the back room? So, you know, we said, yeah, and I, I, I just wanted to go home. You know, I don't want to be here for all this. So I, uh, they took us in the back room, and as soon as we got to the back room, which was half the size of this little rectangle, um, uh, my parents, who knew a bunch of people there, were kind of ushered off, and they were talking to Bishop, uh, to uh, Harry Riley and some of these people. And uh, Pastor Dahl saw me, and he had met me one other time. Uh, and the first time I met him, you know, I had, my parents said, look, we got a preacher coming in this weekend, so go somewhere. Because uh, he came down to stay at our house, and so I went out to party. You know, I'm 15, doing what I do, so I came in, and I needed to get a shirt because I smelled like, alcohol and cigarettes and everything else. And I told my buddy, look, there's, I forgot there was a preacher at the house. I said, I said, wait in the car. He said, I can come in. I said, do not come in. These preachers are weird. Do not come in. Um, and uh, so I tried to sneak in the house just to get my shirt and leave. And my mom said, oh, come here. We got somebody here. And I was like, oh, man. So that Mike, this is Pastor Creflo Dollar. Creflo Dollar is our son, Michael. And I did, you know, when I was taught, stuck out, you know, handshake. And he said, no, I'm a hugger. And, of course, I smell like a bar, you know. And I said, uh, I said, well, you know, I'm all sweaty. He said, well, then give me some of that sweat. I was like, I'm not getting out of it, am I? So here comes the hug. And I remember thinking in my mind, because I didn't, you know, there was, I grew up in a very white world. Um, I remember thinking in my mind, why, you know, and he, when he hugged me, I remember thinking, why is this black guy hugging me like this, man? Just leave me alone, <laughs> you know. Just, uh, it's like, okay, you can count. I'm like, all right, let me go, let me go, let me go. So, you know, it seemed like 10 minutes in my mind, but it was probably two seconds. Um, so I got my shirt and I left. Well, that was kind of late 89. So now here I am, February of 90. He sees me in this little hospitality room. He says, Mike, Mike, come sit down. Sit down next to me. Uh, so I went and sat down next to him and, and at a little folding table, I sit down, Bishop Fuller, uh, Pastor Dollar's here and Bishop Fuller's right in front of him. And Pastor Dollar completely forgets that I'm there. Uh, and he looks at Bishop Fuller and he goes, man, wasn't God awesome in that service tonight? Now, I remember Bank had just finished preaching. And as soon as he said, wasn't God awesome in that service night, before Bishop could even respond, the whole room went into slow motion. Uh, it was kind of like you've seen the movie The Matrix. Any of you seen the movie? Everything just slowed down. And so people were moving, but it was slow. And I, and I remember sitting there looking at Pastor Donald, looking around the room, and people were talking. <laughs> but it, they were all slow motion. And, I, and, you know, believe it if you want to. It doesn't matter. Um, I'll tell my story either way. <laughs> you know, I, I think... Uh, I think at some point, people had to say, you know, Paul, just drop your story, man. He's like, look, I'm going to tell it no matter where. It was noonday, and I was walking. I'm telling you my story. So as this goes into slow motion, a voice comes to me and says this, what you see before you is what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to be the same person off the pulpit as you are on the pulpit. And I don't want you to ever preach anything. No, it didn't say I don't want you to. Don't ever preach anything that cannot be taken out of the church and lived at home. And I will hold you accountable for this. And as soon as the voice was done, the whole room went back to full speed. And Pastor Dahl was talking to Bishop Fuller, and he looked at me. He said, are you all right? I said, yeah, I think so. And I left that room, called into the ministry. That's February 4, 1990, so this 28, almost 29 years. 
Uh, but it's very interesting that I could have been called in the service. It could have just as easily been taken place in the service and could have said, to, you know, looking at bank in the ministry, in, in the pulpit, in the public, this is what I've called you to do. But God called me behind closed doors. And, and it's this alignment with the cornerstone. It's the alignment of the inner life and the doctrine of Christ uh, that has made the difference. And so when you hear me talk today, you know, we're going to be dealing with some very practical things and, and we'll, you know, we'll kind of just flow with the Spirit of God. Um, but uh, if, you, if you wonder why I say what I say, why it seems very plain and very common, it's that I will be held accountable for not giving you a life that cannot be taken home but imparting to you something that's going to impact uh, how you live. And really, you know, the distance from this, pu- this pulpit here, uh, you know, I, I imagine the lectern goes somewhere around here, and maybe when it's set up for a sanctuary, you got your first row here. It's 10 or 12 feet, you know, but it's really miles because so many people come and observe and hear what we say, but they really lack the skill to translate it down. Uh, and that's why in pastoral ministry and all ministry, uh, it's a combination of tools and modeling. It's, it's, it's a, commenta- a, comment of impart- it's a combination of imparting information and, and it's impartation. And there's an intangible impartation that takes place, which comes out of who we are, uh, that goes beyond what we say. Um, in a perfect scenario, you'd be able to close every Bible in your church and have your people just imitate the leadership and their lives would please God. I'm going to say that again. In a perfect scenario, you could close every Bible and have the people in your church just imitate the leadership and it would please God. You know, and we might talk about this. There, you know, the Bible, as we know, it was non-existent when Paul, um, when Paul was in his earthly ministry. And he, there was no, no one knew how to be Christian. No one understood that. They knew how to be Jewish. They didn't know how to be Christian. And so Paul would send his son, wherever Paul was, you know, he would be teaching, you know, his revelation in Christ, and he would send his spiritual son uh, and, and multiple sons and teach them. It's very interesting. First uh, Corinthians five, uh, 4 says, uh, he said, I've sent unto you Timothy, and he'll bring you in remembrance of my ways which be in Christ. Uh, the Amplified Bible says, my, my methods of proceeding, my course of conduct, and my manner of life. It, it was, it, and that's where you get, you know, follow me, mimites in the Greek, imitate me as I imitate Christ. They had no blueprint for how to live as a Christian other than to imitate those who had a revelation of Christ. So if you want to know what marriage is, you should be able to, you know, shut the Bibles in and imitate the leaders. If you want to know what parenting is, you should be able to shut the Bibles and imitate the leaders. And so out of that, you'll find, uh, as I get into things, and we'll get into some very practical and personal things today, uh, just understand why I'm doing it. I'm not doing it to, uh, to, to be anything other than, than, than to be faithful to what I believe God has put in my heart to do. We're going to have a powerful time today. Those of you online uh, who are uh, watching the streaming around the world, thank God for all of you uh, joining in here with us. We're going to be here uh, quite a bit of time today, so you know, run out if you got to break, grab a snack, or grab a cigarette, or whatever. You feel free to do that, and um, uh, you know, and uh, you'll be able to track with us. First Timothy is where we're going to start. <clears throat> oh, so uh, of, of what Apostle Bank was sharing. This idea of enduring relationship uh, is a precious thing. Uh, the idea of spiritual connection is a precious thing. Satan delights in aborting spiritual connection. 
He delights in aborting spiritual relationship. And for a son's meeting, I don't, I don't, I, we may get into this after lunch talking about spiritual sonship. Um, when you have a revelation of what it means to be a son or a daughter, when you have a revelation of what it means to have spiritual parents, um, two things, that, that is an anchoring revelation, uh, but it is also a revelation that is under continual assault um, because the enemy loves to abort divine connections, loves to abort divine relationships. And really, you know, I've had the same spiritual father for 30 years. And the fact that the day I was called into ministry, I was sitting under the, the uh, ministry of your spiritual uh, parents, and here we are 30 years later, speaks to the value of continuing. And so many people are always hopping to the next best thing. Um, where's the opportunity? Where's the open door for me? And that is not spiritual relationship. That's prostitution. That's... Um, that's um, that's a dark evil. And I feel, you know, I feel bad for people that just don't know where they belong. And I've had plenty of chances to be run off, plenty of chances to be offended, plenty of expectations I created in my mind that were, you know, not based in reality. And I've discovered in most situations, uh, and you all know this as pastors, people rarely let you get vested. Um, let me see how I... Uh, you familiar with what I mean, vested? Yeah. Um, so if you work for, here in the States, if you work for a police department for 12 years or whatever, or 15 years, you're vested, meaning if you lose your job tomorrow, all of your benefits are secure. But in ministry, I've discovered you're only as good in people's lives as the most recent time of what you've done for them. I mean, you can take them from drugs, divorce, suicide, all the way into a multi-millionaire business, and that 12 years you spent with them meant nothing. It's your failure to return their phone call last week that is the sum total of who you are in their lives. And um, you know, that's, a, that's a very poor way to live. And um, but those are people that lack revelation. But once, once that spiritual connection is revealed, it's cherished, it's stewarded, and the fact that some 30 years later I'm still with the same people that I've been with. Um, you know, and I was thinking about Pastor Poe, who has passed on. You know, you can't really start... 30-year relationships over from scratch if you have them. <laughs> you have people that have been in your life for 10, 15, 20 years. Hold on to it. Fight to preserve that benefit. Don't fight each other. Fight to preserve that union. Fight to preserve. And, uh, you know, um, boy, we, we could talk about that all day. But let's, let's move on here. Uh, I, th- I thank God for today. Thank God, uh, Bank and Sharon, for having me in. Bless you. Bless this great ministry. Um, and uh, now I get all my sermons from sermons.com. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a platinum member on there. Uh, I've been there for a number of years. I thought about switching over to sermons.net, but I've got so many points built up and loyalty points. Um, I actually get sermons ahead of time. I've been around so long, and I've got such positive feedback. I have a five-star rating, so I, I'm able to. So this is a September sermon, so you can't even get. Uh, here it is August. I'm getting ready to preach to you September, and very few people get the September messages. I know. Of course, Bishop Jakes is a platinum member and some other people, so um, you're, you're only going to get these in one or two places. So, uh, um, And I'm a premium member, which means I get all the jokes and all the stories. They give you parables. You just change out wife names, et cetera. So uh, uh, I'm gonna, um, this is actually a September 9th message, so this is good. You're, you're three weeks ahead. First Timothy um, <clears throat> chapter 4. Um, it says, uh, verse 16, ah, man, ugh. I could just start from the beginning. <laughs> hmm. 
Yeah, verse 12, we'll, we'll go there. Uh, verse 6? Let's try to remember verse 6. Okay, Genesis 1. No, um, all right, here we go. Um, he says, if you put the remembrance, verse 6, if you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Watch this, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine. Of faith and of good doctrine, whereof you have attained, but refuse profane and old wives' fables, and instead exercise yourself in the godliness. For natural exercise has natural profit, but exercising yourself in this doctrine and in spiritual things uh, has universal profit. Because this exercise in doctrine, this exercise in godliness, verse 8, has benefit in the temporal life that now is and in the future life. And Paul says, what I'm saying here, verse 9, is a faithful saying, and it's worthy of receiving. It's worthy of saying, yep, you know, I, I accept that and I acknowledge the, uh, the, the wisdom in that statement. Verse 10, for this is why he's speaking to a spiritual son. We both labor and suffer reproach because, Timothy, you and I trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men and specifically of those who believe. These things command and teach. Do not let anyone despise your youth, but be thou an example to, uh, of the believers so now we're talking about doctrine and life, the, the harmony of these two. An example to believers in word, in conversation, in the way you love, in the spirit, faith, purity. And until I get there, until you and I see each other again, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and give attendance to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of my hands, or the hands of the presbytery. Uh, meditate upon this. Give yourself wholly to this so that you're profiting, you're, the external benefit may be obvious to all. Verse 16, uh, pay attention to yourself and pay attention to your doctrine. For in doing this, doing what? Paying attention to your, your own life and the doctrine and by continuing in them, to pay attention to yourself and to the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this, you shall save both yourself and them that hear thee. Uh, Titus, he told his spiritual son, you know, live your life in a way, live your life and teach doctrine in a way that commands respect. I like that. Um, live your, go, carry yourself in a way that commands respect. Um, you know, the 14 years, almost 14 years I was pastoring, um, I never really worried about church splits. Um, you know, I... I uh, First of all, I never really worried about church splits because, A, if whoever's trying to pull you has more influence in your life than I do, well, then you need to go that direction. But two, uh, I know who I am, and I know what I do, and I'm not really good at too many things. Uh, I used to tell everybody that I was only good at one thing, which was, you know, making sense of this word. Then I ended up getting married and found out I'm a fabulous kisser which I had no idea, you know what I'm saying? I, I was like, I lived my whole life thinking I was only good at one thing and then found out I have another skill. Um, now, you all will only know me in one part, but you can reach out to Connie on Facebook and she'll testify and um, giving honor to, to God and, and to the bishop. Um, so I'm not worried about, um, you know, I don't need external accolade. I don't need followers and likes and clicks and, People, I, I know what it is I do. And, uh, you know, Pastor was talking about yesterday's success. You find out who God, what God's called you to do and do it, and that is your success. Um, 
One of my favorite sayings is, if God's called you to be a missionary, don't stoop to become a king. And, um, and you know, it's like there is no promotion higher than you doing the will of God for your life. And you, we must not measure ourselves by bodies, by buildings, and by budgets. It's almost hard to even articulate things in ministry now because people think they must fit in an Excel spreadsheet. They must be able to be quantified. When you give report to your board or report to your people, it's like, well, this many baptisms, this many this, and, and you can have giant numbers but not anchored in sound doctrine, and you really have nothing at all. Absolutely. We have a million people a week, a week listening to you, but not be preaching Pauline revelation. You have nothing at all. And this is what Paul was talking about. He says, you know, these things that are built on wood, hay, and stubble, you know, they've not been, yet been tried by fire. And I don't mean just controversy or, you know, uh, uh, opposition. But I mean, in, in the judgment, every man's work will be tried by fire. And you can have, you know, you can have five million people a week listening to you on television. But is it built on a revelation of the gospel or is it built on some other means? And only that which is built on Pauline revelation uh, will stand. All right, let's make, let's make a, a take a little trip here. Uh, let's talk about doctrine for a moment. And there are five primary, um, or five essential prerequisites or principles of doctrine. We won't deal with all of these here. Um, but I'll give you, I want to talk specifically about number two and number three. Uh, number two is this. Um, we should not attempt to apply any old covenant scripture or old covenant principle that cannot look eye to eye to the new covenant. Let me say that again. We should not attempt to apply any Old Covenant or Old Testament scripture or principle that cannot look eye to eye with the New Covenant. And here's a key to that. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, looks up into the eyes of the New Covenant. They are not equal. Before you formulate a doctrine, before you formulate what you bring forth to your people, before you formulate what you teach, before you formulate how you handle fundraising, before you formulate how you handle marriage, before you formulate how you handle structure and leadership, you should not bring forth any principle or doctrine or, or, or scripture out of the Old Testament that does not look eye to eye with the New Testament and they don't look eye to eye as equal. The Old Testament looks up into the eyes of the New. In other words, there's no problem reaching into the Old Covenant but the old covenant never trumps the new. They are not equals. And you don't fish randomly into the Old Testament to bring out scripture, to bring out principle that is not anchored in the truth of the new covenant and, and they're not equal. It's like, well, Deuteronomy says this and, and, uh, and, and Ephesians says this. They are not equal. The cornerstone of the new covenant of Christ, the person and doctrine of Christ, establishes the placement for every other scripture, establishes the placement for every other truth. And a lot of us are getting in trouble because we're digging into the old covenant, teaching things, a lot of which are mysticism uh, or fables we just read. Uh, you know, it's good preaching, thank God for good preaching, but it has absolutely nothing to do with uh, New Testament truth. And um, a lot of your questions uh, pastorally will work themselves out 
if you just start here. Now, we have carpet here in the sanctuary, but if I were to lay tile, let's say I had a you know, big 18 by 18 tile, ceramic tile that I was going to lay here, um, the, the placement, in, I've got no, 25 cartons or whatever of tile, the placement of tile piece 75 Somebody say, where are you going to place, this is, I, have, I have the 75th piece of tile, where does it go? It finds its place based on tile piece one. Tile piece 67, 97, 147, 207 don't have their place until piece one is set down. Because when piece one is set down, it establishes the cornerstone by which everything else finds its place. And a lot of us are running into confusion because we've been groomed in, in, uh, in theology that establishes the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, as being on equal footing with the New. And they are not on equal footing. Christ, the person and doctrine of Christ, is the cornerstone. And you and I, when Paul told his spiritual son, pay attention to yourself and the doctrine, which is what? See, you know, if this, if this is the cornerstone here, Paul says, align yourself, Timothy, with the person of Christ and align your teaching with the doctrine of Christ. And, and now, whatever, once you have clarity on that revelation of the person and doctrine of Christ, clarity and revelation on that cornerstone, every other scripture finds its place based on this cornerstone. But much confusion, and you'll hear phrases like this, but my Bible tells me. And, and not everything that the Bible says is something the Bible teaches. Not everything the Bible says is something the Bible teaches. I mean, the Pharisees said Jesus had a devil, you know. I mean, uh, uh, but that doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean Jesus has a devil. The Bible says a lot of things. And, and when you establish doctrine in your churches, when you establish doctrine with your own spiritual sons, be they congregational sons or ministerial sons, when you establish those doctrines, you do so based on new covenant revelation. So you, you cannot teach Malachi 3, tithing, you're cursed with a curse, you and this whole nation, you have robbed me and tithes off. You cannot teach that. As a matter of fact, it's dangerous to even introduce that until your people are thoroughly anchored in the cornerstone of new covenant revelation. Now, let me give you this, this third point. So there's five principles. We don't have time to get to them all. I just gave you number two. But here's number three. And this is going to be a large one. And again, I play, pay for premium membership, so they give me a lot of explanation. So I'll try, to, I'll try to get you here. Catch this. If you just catch these two things, there's the, it, the rest will fall in place. Here we go. Catch what I'm saying. We should not attempt to apply the unfolding doctrines of the synoptic gospels or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we should not attempt to apply the unfolding doctrines of the gospels. Uh, not the gospel singular, but the gospels, the, what we call the, the synoptic gospels. We should not attempt to apply the unfolding doctrines of the gospels or the book of Acts. We should not attempt to apply the unfolding doctrines of the gospel of the book of Acts. Somebody say, why are you taking so much time? Everything I'm getting ready to say for the next hour and a half is going to be you get these two things first. We should not attempt to apply the unfolding doctrines of the gospels or the synoptic Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John or the book of Acts until we can set them 
here it is again, eye to eye. Until we can set them eye to eye. We should not attempt to apply the unfolding doctrine of the gospel and acts until we can set them eye to eye. Here it is. With all of the expressed application. With all of the expressed application. With all of the expressed application of these doctrines revealed in Pauline Revelation. <clears throat> Give it to you a little bit more. It's almost, we're almost there. We should not attempt to apply the unfolding doctrines of the Gospels and Acts until we can set these unfolding doctrines eye to eye with the expressed application of these doctrines as revealed in Pauline Revelation or in Pauline epistles, and I say it this way, we're almost there to the end, uh, Pauline Revelation or Pauline epistles first. This is the key. This is the key. You go to Paul first. And then the other epistles. And Paul and the other epistles together tell us how to apply the unfolding revelations, the unfolding doctrines in the Gospels and in Acts. I'm going to say it one more time. This is all the way through. We must not attempt to apply the unfolding doctrines in the Gospels and Acts until we can set them eye to eye with the expressed application of these doctrines as revealed in Pauline Revelation or the Pauline Epistles first. And after we establish it in the Pauline Epistles first, then the rest of the epistles. So here's, here's the thing. If it, if it does not pass the test of Pauline revelation, then what you're preaching is in error. If it does not pass the test of Pauline revelation, what you're preaching is in error. Yeah, but I got it out of Matthew. If it does not pass the test of Pauline revelation, what you're preaching is in error. Yeah, but Jesus said it in red letters. If it does not pass the test of Pauline revelation, you are in error. Yeah, but I'm quoting Jesus. If it does not pass the test of Pauline revelation, you're in error. Now, I've lost half the room. Let's try this again. So many people are clicking offline. They're like, click, 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 click. <laughs> Listen to me. Yeah. Here it is. Consider this. Could the entirety of your Christian life, this is what the Lord gave me uh, uh, for, you, for you today. I've got like four or five things I feel like the Lord's put in my heart. Could the entirety of your Christian life exist, thrive, and prosper? What do you mean exist, thrive, and prosper? That it would honor, please, and glorify God. Could the entirety of your Christian life exist, thrive, and prosper based solely on the epistles of Paul? If all we had, if all we had was Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Hebrews, we can debate who wrote Paul. If all we had was that, could your life as a Christian thrive and prosper on that alone? No Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. No, no Genesis through Deuteronomy, or Genesis through Malachi. Could your life prosper and bear fruit and honor God and glorify the Lord if all you had were Paul's epistles? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll tell you what, if you had all of Paul's epistles, you had far more than most of the New Testament church had. 
because they didn't have Corinthians plus Colossians plus Philippians plus Thessalonians. I mean, yes, there were tra- Laodiceans in the Colossians. Yes, there was some trading around, but, but mostly all they had was Paul and his spiritual sons coming to teach what they were learning by revelation and occasionally a letter. Now, there's a letter in 1 Corinthians or pre-Corinthians that we don't have. Uh, he says, I wrote you a letter. I'd love to find that letter. I sell that on eBay and make a bunch of money, but I'd love to find that letter. Uh, but I'm telling you, you and I don't even have the fullness of what Paul wrote in all of his epistles. There are epistles to the Laodiceans we don't have. There's a Corinthians letter that predates 1 Corinthians that we don't have. There's a bunch of letters we don't have. But God did not turn his church over to Genesis through Malachi. He did not turn his church over to Matthew through John. Matthew through John did not even exist in writing until after Paul's churches had been established. He turned us over to the Holy Spirit, to revelation of Christ as preached under the apostolic authority and everything Paul preached, he preached as an appeal to the common philosophy that all born again, spirit indwelt people have. He did not base it on the authority of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As a matter of fact, you cannot even fully understand Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John until you are anchored in Pauline revelation. And you and I did not come to Christ by the proper sequence. The whole world, and and might as well say it now, the whole world came to Christ only through Paul. Peter came to Christ. John and James came to Christ through Paul. Oh my gosh. Do you understand Paul's gospel is unique? Paul's gospel is revelation. He said it is a mystery. I was not taught it by man. I was taught it by revelation of Jesus Christ. And he went to people that thought they understood the gospel and preached to them the true gospel. Barnabas did not understand it. Peter did not understand it. James did not understand it. John did not understand it. Silas did not understand it. They had no concept to the point where Jesus told them, I have things that I'm doing, but you do not understand them. You do not comprehend them. That's why I talk about the unfolding revelations in Acts, the unfolding revelation in the gospel. You have to realize up until the first 15 years after the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost, they still didn't know whether you had to be circumcised or not to be saved. And until Paul came and said the truth that what shall we say that Abraham our father has found. He has found righteousness by faith and by faith alone. That this blessedness of no longer imputation of sin. That our sins will not be held against us. Peter and them could not conceive of this until Paul brought it unto their attention. And Paul said, I have preached the gospel to you. You have received that gospel to you. And if I or any of my team come later and change it, if an angel from heaven comes later and changes it, let them that preach it be accursed. Let them that receive it be accursed. There is no other doctrine. There is no other gospel. Paul said that when I preach. And when they said, well, I hear you're of Paul, but I'm more of Peter. He said, no, Christ is not divided. There's not Peter's version and Paul's version and Apollo's version. There is only one gospel version. And he says, you call it another. He said, there is no gospel that exists outside of what I have stated. But you and I did not come through the door of Paul. Most likely, we came through the door of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the Corinthians didn't know anything about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In Antioch, they knew nothing about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Thessalonians knew nothing about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As a matter of fact, when Peter 
preached to Cornelius, which was one of the greatest scandals in church history. I mean, you have to think about it. They did not even know Gentiles could be saved. They had no clue. Because what they understood was Jesus was a continuation of Judaism. That's all they knew to do. They said that now we have the sacrifice that can cleanse you more deeply than anything under the law. And, but they were still circumcised and they were still Torah observant. And when Jesus showed them a vision and said, Arise, Peter, eat that barbecue pork sandwich, eat those shrimp, and eat those crab legs, Peter said, Oh, this is a trick. I know you're trying to trick me, Lord. I've never, I've never eaten anything that's not kosher. And then when he got to the threshold of Cornelius' house and he said, The Lord told, he said, Cornelius said, Come in. He said, I've never stepped over the threshold into another person's house. Peter was called up to headquarters. Everybody Peter ran the church. Peter did not run the church. James called him in. Peter got a beep on his phone. It was way before cell phones. He got a beep. Beep, 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 beep. And he's, oh man, it's James. I'm in trouble now. And started backing out. And in Acts chapter 11, they call him into headquarters and say, we heard that you went into men who are uncircumcised and you ate with them. Explain yourself. And he said, look, I get it. I know it's wrong. I know it's sin. I know it's transgression of law of Moses. I get it. I understand. But I'm trying to tell you, the Lord told me that if he's cleansed it, don't call it common. And the, uh, James and John and everybody with great, he said, look, I tell you what, I thought I was crazy too. But when the Holy Ghost came on them, like he came on us, I, who was I to fight against God? And for the first time, the great, the people that had walked with the Lord said, so you mean Gentiles can be saved too? They had never considered that at all. Never even crossed their minds. Never even crossed their minds. And they go, fine, awesome, got it. Okay, so it's Jews and Gentiles. I guess we can all be saved. But they still weren't to Pauline revelation. It was, well, good. We need to start teaching them the law. We need to get teaching the law. And so they go to these Gentiles and say, okay, we got some good news. Uh, just came back from headquarters, got some good news and bad news. Good news is, boss says you all are real Christians. And all the Gentiles are like, all right, all right, all right. Bad news is, uh, instead of baptism on Friday, we're going to hold a circumcision service. And uh, so bring your babies and bring in the, and, and now all of a sudden they're like, whoa, whoa, what? And now they, 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 they believe they are living the gospel. They had not even entered the gospel. And this goes on up into Acts 15. And even when they conclude in Acts 15, James says, fine, 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 fine. Okay, Paul, I hear you. Obviously, God's doing something strange through you. We'll have a Jewish gospel and we'll have a Gentile gospel. But just tell the Gentiles, uh, no fornication, no idols, no blood, nothing strangled, and we'll be cooled. So Paul goes back down the mountain to Antioch, and he's like, got some good news. <laughs> you know, and the church was just praying. You know, they, they, it was a men's prayer meeting all week long. Why? No circumcision, Lord. No circumcision, Lord. And they came and said, good news is no circumcision. And they were like, thank you. I mean, they caught the Holy Ghost right there. Thank you. Uh, but, but, but we're going to have a Jewish gospel and a Gentile gospel. But that's all unfolding revelation. And Paul comes back later. And the Bible details how he rebukes Peter in Antioch and says, you know what? If you know keeping the law doesn't even help you as a Jew, 
and you know you haven't lived it successfully. Why would you put that on? And so these unfolding things we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, you can't build your life off them. You've got to start with the revelation of Paul through the epistles and there now go back to Acts. Now go back. I mean, Jesus said, don't call any man your father upon the earth. And then Paul says, I have begotten you through the gospel. There's going to be conflict if you pick up little parts out of the scripture in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and try to compare it with something that Paul wrote. You have to start with Pauline revelation, then deal with Peter, James, John, and Jude, then work out to how, so, so Jesus says, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Paul says, no, 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 because you've been forgiven, freely forgive. You've got to figure out what, what to apply and how. So is it what Jesus said? If you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. Is that true? Or is it what Paul said? Because God has freely forgiven you, freely forgive other people. Jesus was speaking to reveal to men their sin, to reveal to men their lack of qualification, to reveal to men that they had fallen short of the, uh, the, the, uh, the law of God. Paul had already made it clear. There is none righteous, no, not one. There's no other way by, uh, for righteousness other than putting your faith in Christ. And once you put your faith in Christ, Paul says, because you've been forgiven, walk in forgiveness. Whereas Jesus said the way to forgiveness is through forgiveness. Paul said the way, reason we walk in forgiveness is because we've been forgiven. And if you try to pick up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll get a twisted contrary, something that looks like the gospel, Paul says, but there's not another. There's only one. And it's the one I, Paul, preach. It's the one I, Paul, preach. There is no other gospel. And, and the, it is our lack of doctrinal sophistication. It is our lack of doctrinal sophistication that has caused so much trauma in the church. It's the reason we're still not sure what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to have grace? What do we do to people that sin? What happens when we sin? How far can we sin? We don't even know what is sin. We come, here's the thing. We come to Christ through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Kind of. We don't cut off our hands or pluck out our eyes. But we live with this constant threat that we're somehow not accepted because you cannot read the teachings of Jesus and feel assured in your stance before God because Jesus' preaching does not produce assurance. What Jesus taught tore down the self-righteousness of men. And what Jesus did in all his three years of teaching, Paul did in the first three chapters of Romans, convincing everyone that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul says to the Gentiles, you think you don't know about God? The law of God is written on your heart and you know you've transgressed it. And you Jews who think just because you know it that knowing it is the same thing as doing it, if you've tra- you know you've transgressed it. All of us, there is none righteous, no, not one. That's where the gospel begins. My brother just said, there are two ways to heaven. Paul said, to those who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory, honor, and, eternal li- and immortality, they get eternal life. But to those who engage in wickedness and unrighteousness, they get eternal damnation. There's a way, if you have perfectly, completely kept the law of God, not the law of Moses, the law of God from day one, then you will go to heaven. You can have eternal life based on your perfect execution of the law. You say, well, I think I messed up one time. Messing up one time has put you to option B only by the rope. He's walking by and he stops at the roulette table and he puts one coin down on a thing and waits for it to spin and it hit 31 to 1. So $155,000, just boom. And they gave him his chips and he just kept on walking. So that's how the game was played. The gospel 
is that you abandon all other hope for acceptance before God other than Jesus and his righteousness. That you take the entirety of your chips and it is all on Jesus and him alone. You don't spread it around a little bit to law keeping, spread it around a little bit to fasting, spread it around a little bit to Bible reading, hoping that, well, maybe I, you know, I, might, I might, you know, stay away from pork just, you know, because it can't hurt. And, and all of that is compromise and mingling. And it is mixture. It is superstition. It is antichrist. And Paul says, I have trusted the Lord, putting the complete reliance on my, of my acceptability before him entirely on Jesus of Nazareth and his finished works. And when I stand before God and God says, why do I let you in? I will not point to because I fasted, because I never fornicated, because I went to church all the time. Hey, I, the only thing I will point to. And what if you get there and discover that that was not enough? Well, isn't that, isn't that the whole conundrum? Isn't that the whole million dollar question? Is it what you do plus what he has done? Or is it what he has done alone? And that is the question. A lot of people think, well, I'm really aiming at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I'm trying to do this, and I'm trying not to watch it, and I'm trying not to do this, and I want to make sure I do this, and I'm forgiving 70 times, so I'm doing all this kind of stuff, and I'm covering that. But I also believe in grace, too, so that wherever I've missed it, he'll make the difference. That is not Paul's gospel. Paul's gospel is that you are hopelessly lost with no other remedy than the finished works of Christ, and you trust in that and that alone. And that point right there, I am undone, I am hopelessly lost, opens you up now for the Spirit of God to make you new, boom, resurrect your spirit. Now the Holy Spirit lives inside you and you are set free not to go back to to make sure you have your bases covered. You are set free for what God has done in you to begin to grow and produce fruit and to work its way out of you. And all Paul taught was not stop doing this for fear of judgment. Stop doing this for fear of judgment. Paul appealed to people based on their common revelation of what it means to be indwelt in Christ. He did not say don't fornicate or you'll go to hell. Don't eat this or you'll go to hell. He would say to this, why would I eat something that would give glory to an idol? Christ is in me. Why would I take my Christ dwelling in me and sleep with a harlot? Christ is in me. He did not pronounce judgment and destruction upon people for failing. He preached to them out of their identity. This is who you are. Christ is in you. And that is how we govern our lives. And he did not need to borrow Old Testament, uh, an Old Testament stick to accomplish a New Testament fruit. He put more emphasis on Christ's work inside a person than he did on trying to get them motivated by using punishment and fear and judgment and all this other kind of stuff. And we have all these other superstitions based on how to keep people so that they live right. And Paul said, when a person messes up, you can't say, oh man, you might, you know, you might go to hell, you might lose your salvation, all this other kind of stuff. When a person steps up, you have to remind them, that's not who you are. You used to be a child of darkness, now you're a child of light. Walk as a children of the light. All the people that don't know God live that way. You're not a person that doesn't know God. Live like someone who knows God. He never had to put the threat of judgment on them again because Paul knew it was not by my righteousness or my works. It was only by the finished work of Christ and he appealed to people based on that common revelation and they discovered together how to be a Christian, not barring. Now, the law could tell us about the mind of God, but the spirit in us revealed to us the heart of God and how to walk in a true way that pleases God instead of external worship, which is empty. And the first foundation, he said, Paul said, I'd love to take you deeper into what I want to tell you about Christ, but I'm tired of relaying the foundation of getting your mind out of dead works that you have somehow have to help that help the Jesus help what he's done, fix what he's done. Well, I know, I know I've done okay, but let me help him out a little bit. 
bit. I sinned yesterday, but if I fast three days, that ought to make it right. Stop looking to dead works to make you righteous. You've put it all in on Jesus is enough or he's not. And that is the opening statement of Paul's gospel. Jesus is enough or he is not. And anything you and I try to do to bolster what we have in Christ is dead works religion. And it is not Paul's gospel. It is not Paul's gospel. It is not Paul's gospel. So yes, if you look at pornography and it does not please the father. And it is not holiness. And God commands us not to look upon that which is not our spouse. You have to have a revelation that if the blood of Jesus in the new covenant is ever any good, it's good at this moment when I need it right here. But the day you start cutting deals of what you'll do and how you'll fast and how you'll pray and how you'll give extra and how you'll stay in worship this week instead of going to the back to, to, to prep for the message, you'll be in worship the whole time. The day you start adding in extra to try to remedy your transgression is the day it's made clear to you you have not even made the first step into the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't cut side deals. We don't help out. We don't reach in and say, Lord, I know you got it, but let me put a little something on it. You know, I, I, I mean, I messed up here. That, that is all revelation to you. That should be an indication to you that you have not yet stepped into Paul's gospel because when your knees buckle and you do something that you know pleases God, you have no other place to turn, Paul says. What other sacrifice is there that I can remedy this except for the sacrifice that has already been set? I remind myself that he has begun a good work in me. He will never leave me or forsake me. He is not imputing sin to me and this is the gospel that I'm in. If you, uh, Let me ask you this question. I, why am I yelling? I don't know why I'm yelling. Let me ask you this question. <laughs> let me ask you this question. What did Paul get delivered from? Paul had a conversion. What did he convert from? What did he convert to? He converted from trying to remedy his bad life by external works. What did he convert to? That there's no remedy other than my faith. You say, but when I made a mistake, what do I do? My faith in how good and thorough Jesus' work is, is what gives me my completeness. And when I fall, I fall and I land. Oh my gosh, I fell. Where'd you fall? I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The meter of my sin has been turned off. He is no longer imputating sin to me. I am a new creature that's never existed before. Every other creature in the history of mankind, what they did brought them consequences. It, this is the day of the free favors of God where God is making men righteous apart from the works of the law. I'm in the most special, powerful time in human history where when you put our faith in Christ, the meter is turned off. He sees me as righteous no matter what I do. It is the gift of salvation and I put my complete faith in that and I refuse to borrow dead works to try to fix something which is not broken. Even when my knees buckle, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am righteous as Jesus is. I am as righteous as Adam and Eve were in the garden before they sinned. And if, if that if you don't start there as a cornerstone, you'll have, you'll have no idea what to do with Malachi. No idea what to do with Mark. No idea. And you can't, listen, and you can't even start with Peter. Peter's writings. You can't even preach 1 Peter and 2 Peter right if you don't have a revelation of Paul. Well, my Bible tells... See, here, would you, forget what your Bible tells you. What is Paul's revelation? Begin with Paul. Begin with Paul. Because if it doesn't start with Pauline revelation, it is not the gospel. And when you begin with Paul here, now you know how Jude fits. Now you know how 2 Peter fits. Now you know how 1 John fits. Now you know how my, but you don't know, you can't pick up 1 John and say, well, here's what my Bible tells me. You, your Bible doesn't tell you anything if you've not come through the door of the gospel of Christ. But what we do is we exalt all scripture equally. And say, well, mine says this, you got your five, I got my five. We don't have five and five. We have the revelation of the gospel as revealed to Paul. And that gives me the context and the application for every other scripture that I find. Well, doesn't your Bible tell you that you should honor the Sabbath forever? It does tell me that. 
can show you 15 scriptures. Let's go over here to Exodus. Let's go over here to Numbers. Let's go. You, you, you're, not, you're not listening. You're not, you're not listening to what I'm saying. You running out a plethora of scriptures, a, a giant, you can run out a whole concordance of scriptures. I'm going to go right here to Paul. And Paul says, let us keep the Sabbath. But it's not a one day a week honor. It's the rest in the finished works of Christ. Paul gives us the true clarity of what everything else means. So yeah, we must keep the Sabbath and we must keep it holy. But the Sabbath is not not mowing your lawn on Saturday. The Sabbath is ceasing from your self-righteous works so that you can rest in Christ. So don't run out scripture and try to tell me what the Bible says. Begin with Paul and then you let the gospel define where every other scripture can establish and find its place. Now, let's go here, 1 Timothy chapter, five, chapter 1. I know, I, know it's, I know it's a lot, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help you out. I'm, uh, our, our confusion is that we, we just pick up randomly. My Bible tells me homosexuality is an abomination to the Lord. That's a very weird place to begin a doctrine. You just closed your eyes and reached into Leviticus and pulled something out. That's how you formulate your doctrine? That's dangerous. We have a weird doctrine that says, oh, geez, I might not have been invited back. That's okay. Uh, Bank said, say whatever, and he can fix it when I'm gone. He said, he said, don't listen to the white guy. All right, just don't listen to the white guy. We have this strange idea. The pastor talked about it a little bit yesterday. That somehow the Jewish people are right before God by their bloodline. And if there's any more anti-Christ sentiment, it's that right there. Paul destroyed the privilege and preciousness of bloodline through his preaching. He even said, though at one time we did know Christ based on who he was in the flesh. From now on, we don't know Christ after the flesh, nor do we know any man based on who they are after the flesh. But you didn't need Paul to tell you that. John the Baptist told us that. The gospel begins. The Bible says that through John, all men might believe. Through John the Baptist's preaching is, is the preparation for, for receiving Christ. And he said, do not even say the words that we have a natural blood connection to Abraham because God is able to raise up of these stones children unto Abraham. Paul said, I know we thought... Again, so you say, well, doesn't your, my Bible tells me in Genesis chapter 2 or Genesis chapter 12 that he'll bless them and bless them and Abraham's seed and all. That's what, yeah, my Bible says that too. But then Paul said, he was not saying seeds as of many. He was speaking only to one. And that seed is Christ. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed. Paul said there, there, that, that yes, out of one bloodline comes two those who are of the spirit and those who are of the flesh. So just because you have the blood does not mean, the bloodline does not mean you're of the spirit. For, for uh, Ishmael was a son by natural process, but the true sons of, Ed, of Abraham require a miracle. And we are the miracle sons because we are born by the new birth and supernatural means, not by, and Paul said, I have the bloodline. I'm the purest of the pure. And all of that is done because the true revelation is that when you place your faith in Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. But we go out with some weird superstition as though the Jewish people don't need to be saved through Christ. And Paul said, my heart breaks because I wish my Jewish brethren could be saved. Romans 10, 
for they being ignorant of God's righteousness continue to go about to establish their own righteousness and they won't submit to the only way to be righteous before God. He said this so much to the point that if I could trade that I myself would be cut off from God so that they could be saved, I would gladly trade. He said, but here's the truth. We don't have the Bible doesn't say the gospel has Jewish roots. There's no such thing. He says that the roots of the gospel are Abraham and Christ. And he says, and they were in those roots, but because they chose to continue in their righteousness, they've been plucked out of those roots. Those of us who decided to trust in God's grace were put in those roots. And he says, you and I will stay in those roots. He says, but behold, the goodness and severity of God. On us who believed, he showed goodness. On those who refused to believe, he showed severity. But don't you get high-minded, because if you don't continue in God's grace, but decide you want to do it by some other works, you'll be plucked out the same way they were plucked out. It won't be our sin that gets us out of the gospel. It'll be our self-righteousness by other means that separates us from the gospel of Christ. We're always worried, can I sin so much I can lose my salvation? That's a big question. Maybe we can talk about it today. But I don't think that's really the question. Our number one worry should not be, is it possible for an indwelt spirit person to lose their salvation? The bigger question would be, are there a lot of people who have named the name of Christ that have never been born again? I think that's the bigger question. Maybe we'll deal with that a little later. 1 Timothy 5, chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ... By the commandment of God, our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. I'm writing, verse 2, 1 Timothy 1, verse 2. I'm writing unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. What does he say in verse 3? As I asked you, Timothy, to stay at Ephesus. You know, it's very interesting. Just as a pause here in the sons and daughters meeting, I'll weed this in. Um, I've got to be careful how I say this. Um, Paul asked Apollos to come to, I believe, Corinth. And Paul said of Apollos, his will wasn't at all to come at this time. And he says, I trust he'll be there when he has a convenient time. In ministry, you can request of brothers. You can request of sisters. But sons and daughters ought to be able to be assigned and sent. Let me say that one more time. You request of brothers... You request of sisters, but sons and daughters ought to be able to be assigned and sent. You study down for yourself. He says, here, as I besought thee to abide in Ephesus, you stay there. Paul told Titus, this is why I left you in Crete. Why? Because the spiritual father says, this is what I need you to do. And the son doesn't say, well, you know, I really don't know because, you know, I've been thinking and, you know, no, no, no. Sons and daughters can be placed assigned, summoned, and sent. Paul says, Timothy, come. Stop by here and pick this up. Stop by here and bring this to me. Stop by here and do this, and make sure you're here by this time. You ain't my daddy. You ain't telling me what to do. I hear from God. No, no, no. Sons and daughters can be summoned. When a spiritual father says, this is our meeting, and I understand sometimes there are impossible circumstances by which you can't make it, but your heart should always be inclined to be where you're summoned. As a matter of fact, I submit to you one of the ways to verify the authenticity of your sonship and daughtership is by your ability to be summoned and placed. 
It's amazing to me that Paul told of Timothy, I have no man like-minded who will care for you like me, who will treat you like me. We walk in the same spirit. We walk in the same steps. He says, there's no one as precious to me like Timothy. And he says, I put, send Timothy in 1 Corinthians 4. He, he said, I send to my congregational sons, all those in Corinth, I send my ministerial son, Timothy, to teach you in, in remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, on and on and on. But here's what's interesting. As powerful as Timothy was, he told the Philippians, you know the proof of him that as a son with the father, he has served me in the gospel. They knew the authority and the power that Timothy walked in. He was powerfully used of God by Paul, uh, uh, used of God and, and serving Paul, but he was also given to menial tasks. Timothy, go by and pick up the books, the parchments, and my cloak, which I left somewhere. I don't care how dynamic and awesomely you are used with your spiritual father, you never graduate from being sent to do menial tasks. I have preached all over the world with my spiritual parents. All over the world. So far as I know, and I could be wrong, I think I'm the only spiritual son that has done their international Changing Your World conferences with them. I could be wrong. The only one. All over the world. Pastor Dalla, Pastor Taffy, and me. But I tell you this, to, kick, to pick up his bag is still the greatest joy that I have. Pastor Ali used to always say to me when I was serving in Atlanta before I started my own, before I left to, to pioneer the church there, or not really to pioneer, but to continue in. Uh, we started it from scratch, but God had already been doing things in that city. A lot of times you've got to be careful. You're entering into other men's intercession reaping the harvest of their prayers and think how awesome you are. When people spend 50 years praying for something to happen to a city, you think you're causing it to happen. You're just an answer to somebody else's faith. <laughs> but Pastor Ollie used to always tell me, Mike, man, if I could just go back and serve my spiritual dad, if I could just go back and drive him around, man, uh, I just miss those days. And I just thought that's what you're supposed to say. Like, like here I am driving him around and he's supposed to say that he wishes he could do that for his. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's, you know, it's like saying beauty is only skin deep. That's what ugly people, you know, they have to say that, right? It's some of this kind of thing. But I'll tell you what, as soon as I started pastoring my own church, all I wanted to do was, was be on the plane or somewhere serving, picking up something, dropping off something, driving this here, driving this there. To make his tea, I mean, to make his tea, he used to put a little holes in the tea, let it dissolve, a little bit of throat coat tea, let it sit for a second, not too strong, not too weak, to take it. And I mean, and, and, and he, would, he would be, so I'd walk out and, and he would hand me his tea right before he'd gone, to the, and we'd be anywhere in the world. They'd say, now, please welcome our speaker, Pastor Crevo Dollar, and he would hand me the tea, and he would always have that little holes in his mouth, the little throat lozenge. And the first time I was standing there, uh, he went to take it out, and he had no place to put it, I just held my hand out, and he was like, and just put it in my hand, I was just looking at my sticky hand I was like wow okay <laughs> now we're family now, now we're family um but sure enough the next week uh, uh, we were in a different city he was doing it and and and, and uh I was handing him his tea and his, he, he did the same thing and you know a good a good servant just watches just watches like a dog like 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 a, a dog lays down and, and curls up and is asleep and, and, and that, 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 the owner, you know, he just rocks in his chair, rocks in his chair. But that, that owner, <clears throat> and that dog lifts up an eye. We need anything? No, we're all right, okay. And I used to watch. And sure enough, he comes out, and then, now please introduce, please welcome Pastor Crowley. And he did that, man. And man, I had to, phew, I had my napkin. Ah, all right, got it this time. All right, all right. No sticky hand this time. No sticky hand this time. My God. But we would travel all over the world. And, 
and uh, in, in his plane, uh, in their plane, uh, there were seats up front. So seats were in uh, what they call a club arrangement, which are two seats facing backwards, two seats facing forward, seats facing backwards. So I would sit up here facing the back of the plane. And uh, my wife would sit here facing me, and then you go around, and uh, you know, he and his wife would be back here, and they'd be facing forward like this. And I would sleep. We'd, tra- we'd fly 10 hours, and I would sleep like this with one eye open. Fall asleep. Fall asleep. And he would sit back in the back, <clears throat> and I would see him asleep. He, you know, just exhausted from preaching, you know, 10 sessions in three days or whatever. And he would sleep, and he would sit up <clears throat> and go to reach, and I knew he's reaching for a water. And before he could even get his eyes open to find he didn't have one, I'm sitting there at his chair. <laughs> you never graduate from that. You never graduate from that. I, I took somebody's water. Forgive me. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You never graduate from that. So Timothy is the representation of Paul in all his churches, honored among all the churches. And yet he says, please go by and pick up my jacket. And Timmy's like, dear pastor, we need to talk. I think by this time, no, what are you talking about? You never graduate from service. Uh, you know, but we, we, we carry that, we feign that. Um, but we, a lot of times we serve on our terms. Which when you're serving on your terms, that's not service at all. We were in Hungary. Oh, man, this is 18 years ago. And uh, in this church, about 18,000 people in this church, it was a 10 a.m. session. And, you know, I walked in. I had pastor's bag, my bag. I think I was carrying Connie's bag. And we walked in. And when we got out of the car, uh, pastor walked in. His son walked in. The, the operations director walked in. The media director walked in. Uh, the conventions director walked in. Connie walked in and I walked in. I'm standing in the back of the line with three bags. When I was doing that, I was chief of staff. My pastor was a CEO. Pastor Taffy was COO. They were co-presidents. And I was what they called vice president or whatever, or chief of staff. So they, they led it together. They, you know, she didn't report to him. He didn't report to her. They lead it together. And then it was me over five continents. And everybody that I held the door for and walked in, except for my wife, all the operations guy and the media guy, and the, they, all, they all reported to me. And I'm standing there, and the pastor comes and the translator, and they're welcoming, and da, 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 and they say, okay, would you like to go in the service? So they open the door, and Pastor Allah goes in, and his son goes in, and the operations director goes in, the media director goes in, the convention tour director goes in, and Connie goes in, and I come in, and, and as I get through the door, the guy grabs my arm, and he says, this way, this way. I, I don't know where I'm going. And we barely speak the same language. I'm going, and they got everybody else on the front row. And, and they march me way back to the back and say, you, you can sit here. And I sit down there and they say, yeah, all adjutants serve, sit here. And so I sit down and there's an empty seat next to my wife. I'm like, <laughs> and I'm carrying this other dude's bag and I'm back here. And, you know, here comes the flesh, the lower life. Man, you've got to be kidding me. I'm up here and signing their checks and now here not paying attention to me and this and that. I, I know the hungry people don't know who I am, but you better doggone well as soon as I get on that plane. And the Holy Ghost hit me in my stomach. Boom. He said, isn't it amazing how you carry yourself like a servant but get offended when they treat you like one? So what did you do? I sat in that service and worshiped the Lord because you can't feign a heart to serve because if you fake it, you'll be tested on it a thousand times. 
but you never graduate. He says, as I besought thee, verse 3, to abide at Ephesus while I went to Macedonia. What did he want his son to do? Tell those folks there to teach no other doctrine. Tell them not to give heed to fables, endless genealogies. All that's going to do is minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith so do. He says, now the bottom line, verse 5, King James says, the end of the commandment, the bottom line of what I preach is love. And that love comes out of a born-again spirit. That love comes out of a renewed soul. And that love is anchored in a true faith. He said, the bottom line of what we preach is love. Verse 6, but some people have swerved from what we preach and they've turned aside to vain jangling, purposeless talk, the Amplified says. Verse 7, and they desire to be teachers of the law, but the problem is they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know where they affirm. He says, this is the problem. Paul said, if you want to know what my gospel is about, it's about a faith in the finished works of Christ that yields a born-again spirit that's indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and we renew our minds to the nature of God, and we walk in love. That's the sum total of what I preach. He said, but people aren't content with what I preach. They swerve off and now start to go back to the law and teach the law. And he said, they don't even know what it is that they're talking about. And here's the truth. The gospel is the most enduring truth ever revealed to man. But it's the easiest to let slip. The gospel truth is the most enduring truth ever revealed to man. But it's the easiest to let slip. And if you study it out, we don't have time to get into it today. Several of Paul's epistles are written to people who were letting it slip. He said to the Galatians, you began in the spirit. Who has bewitched you? We've come so far. Please tell me we didn't waste our time. I'm worried about you. Has everything there been none of anything? He said, tell me, did you get the Holy Spirit by the works of the law? The supernatural things that are happening? And he was concerned. I've given you this, but now people are preaching something different. He said, I'm worried about you. What happened? I gave you an enduring truth, but it's easy to let it slip because we've been so ingrained to works-based righteousness so ingrained and trained to superstitious fables that we can get the truth in one moment. But with lack of revelation of that truth, we let it slip and default back to some other dead works form of religion. The entire book of Hebrews is written to people. Don't let this slip. Don't cast away your confidence. You have need of faith and patience that you may receive the promise. He he was concerned they might slip and go back to sacrifice, go back to the law. So much so that Peter, it took him almost his entire life to get anchored in the gospel of Paul. I'm going to say that again. It took Peter almost his entire life to get anchored in the gospel of Paul. 2 Peter 3 closes with this. One of the last things he said was, listen to Paul. Because those that wrestle with Paul, they do the same thing, wrestle with the other scriptures. He called Paul's writing scripture. James struggled with it. Barnabas struggled with it. How could Barnabas struggle with it? Barnabas was the only one that believed in Paul when no one else did. Barnabas showed the grace of God when they were trying to run Paul out of the church. Barnabas spoke up for him. But when the people from headquarters came, when the GO came, Barnabas got nervous. Peter and Barnabas are sitting at the, at the barbecue pork table at Antioch. Mm, I'm so glad to be free in Christ. Mm, it's so good. I've always wondered what ribs taste like. Mm, it's the best thing in the world. Let me get some more of those shrimp. Mm, mm. And they were eating there, and, and then they heard, uh, James people are coming, James people are coming. And Peter walks up, stands up. Oh, man. Wait, mm, I don't have barbecue sauce. I'm going to do it. And he comes over here to the kosher table. And he's eating now when James people come in. He goes, shalom, shalom. 
And Paul is over here at the barbecue table and he goes, you've got to be kidding me. How dare you? Know you're free from the law. And yet this guy comes down and he can move you off of the revelation that we have in Christ. And in front of all these people here, you already know, Peter, this law doesn't help you. And now you've put their faith under attack because they're over here eating thinking they're free. But your superstitious reaction undermines their conscience. And he says, I withstood him to the face because, Peter, you're to be blamed. Barnabas, you? It says Barnabas, Galatians 3, was caught up in their dissimulation, the little subtle lie of claiming freedom, but actually subconsciously wanting to be affirmed by the law. He said, I rebuked them all because they rock, walk not uprightly according, it says, to the truth of the gospel. And if you think you're walking uprightly with the law of Moses, you might be, but you are not walking uprightly with the truth of the gospel. Mohammedanism, Islam, Judaism, they are aligned. Diets, days, weeks, meat, drinks, holidays, high places, holy places. That is not Christ. Bloodlines, names, inheritance, not Christ. We have no high place in the earth. We have no holy relic in the earth. We have no high day. We only have very few rituals, very few ordinances. And even the ones we have, Paul said, whenever you want to do it, do it in remembrance of him. We have no external requirement at all. No fabric, no unclean things, no halal, no kosher. We have nothing because we realize the futility of all of it. Wear what you wear. Try to be the most perfect person you can be. Don't, no, don't, don't dress, touch, go. Get, oh, you can do that. Walk 25 miles. On, do whatever you, oh, whatever you think will make you righteous. It's all done. Only God became flesh and did what man should have done but did not do, did what Adam could have done but did not do. Jesus submitted himself to the law of God and unnecessarily to the law of Moses because the law of Moses could never give life and could never make righteous. But he perfectly honored the law of God, perfectly honored the law of Moses, showed up with his 1600 SAT score and said, I'll give you my perfect paper in exchange for your flawed paper. And that is the sum total of the gospel and any other type of eat this, don't eat this, wear this, don't wear that, go this place, don't touch that. Jerusalem, there's nothing for you in Jerusalem. I can feel Christ's presence. That's superstition. That's like, that's like you going to Elvis's house and feeling him in the house. It is the same. You're not there. That's like when you had your dental surgery, you took those pills and saw Tupac, uh, the Virgin Mary and Princess Diana. That was not. That is not a vision. That's that's bad drugs or good drugs, depending on how you, depending on how you slice it. But I feel. But I. But I just have to be here in Jerusalem. And the entirety of New Testament revelation is there is no place where God is, but God is everywhere. There is no people that God is in, but God is in all. I mean, that's the whole entire revelation. And there's no. There's no one above us or below us. That you're either in Christ or you're not. And if you're not in Christ, you are completely empty. And if you're in Christ, rich, poor, red, yellow, brown, black, white, Jew, Gentile, bond, or free, you are completely full. And because we lack that revelation, we don't know how to handle politics. We don't know how to handle nations. We don't know how to handle institutions. 
Because we don't know men and women are equal before God, as in their gender, we don't know how to implement institutions like family and churches. You see, when you think women are inferior outside just because they're women, then you come into a church and you say, well, she can't lead. She can't be a CEO. But when you get a revelation outside the institution of who they are, that they were both blessed, Pastor Tevi showed us yesterday, that God dwelt in them both, that division came after the fall, then you can approach the institution of marriage right, the church right. I never, I never had to tell people to listen to Connie. Well, she's my wife, you should listen to her. Connie doesn't need my authority to back her authority in our church. People knew from day one it was us. Both our names on the sign. Both our names on the brochure. Both our names on the broadcast. We've always been one. When I preach by myself, people come up to her afterwards, thank you both for what you shared today. Connie didn't utter a word. Connie preached by herself, and people come to me, thank you for what you and your wife did for us today. I didn't say a word. We are one. And no one in our church ever challenged us or went behind her back or didn't have to say, y'all better listen to my wife. She, 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 she doesn't even need my authentication from day one in the eyes of everybody. Michael and Connie Smith, Michael and Connie Smith, Michael and Connie Smith, Michael and Connie Smith, Michael and Connie Smith. We have always been one. The day I got married, Pastor Dollar called me in his office and said, from now on, I consider you one. Wherever you are, she is. If you're going somewhere, don't ask if she can come. She can come. You're one. I tried that one time. I learned Pastor Dollar when I first met him, he doesn't say stuff that he doesn't mean. Now, I come from a whole multi-generation of people who are liars, so I've never been around people. <laughs> Most people are liars and they call it being polite. And that's, you're not being polite, you're just lying. Guy knocks on your door. You, you don't even want to be bothered on a Saturday. You can't believe a neighbor had the nerve to knock on your door on a Saturday. Doom, doom, doom. Oh, man, I'm watching the game. I come out. You open the door. You don't want to let him in. You say, you want to come in? You don't want to let him in, but you, just to be polite. Can I offer you something to drink? You don't want to get him anything to drink, but to be polite, you offer him something to drink. The guy's thirsty as all get out, but he's been trained to be polite and say, no, no, I'm fine. A couple of liars standing in the foyer <laughs> calling themselves polite. That's how I was raised. Where you said whatever you, you didn't mean it, you just said what was nice. No, it's really no problem. You were upset. But it's no problem. Then I met Pastor Dollar. I got called to ministry in February. I wrote him a letter, said, I think I might be called to ministry. I don't know what to do. Can I learn from you? He said, why don't you come up and stay at my house for two weeks and we'll see what God says. I got there, he said, stay as long as you want. I said, you don't mean that. In my mind, I thought, you don't mean that. Stay as long as you want. He didn't mean that because people want you out of their house, right? Then he said, uh, make yourself at home. If you want something to drink, get it, da-da-da. I said, he doesn't mean that. <laughs> so I would go, and he'd be in the living room. i said, excuse me, sir, can I get something to drink? He said, Mike, I told you, anything you want, go ahead and get it. Okay, thank you, sir. So I went in. Two days later, I said, hey, would you mind if I got something to drink? He said, ask me one more time. <laughs> and the answer will be no. Don't.